Hi, I'm Dennis Sheeran. And I'm Raymond Steinmetz from the Instant Relevance Podcast. And we're part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Leader of Learning Podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Krinas, and my research and leadership experiences have led me to understand that someone like you, regardless of your role or your title, can truly make an impact in your organization. I chat with amazing guests who epitomize what it truly means to be a leader of learning. I'm so glad you've tuned in. Let's get started. In a lot of urban schools, our children, unfortunately, don't see our educators that much differently than they do authority figures out in the world. Hey, Leader of Learning. Thank you so much for joining us here in episode 87. If you're like me and you're an educator who's still wondering how you can help and make any sort of impact when it comes to overcoming issues of inequalities and injustices in your school or in education, this episode is for you. My guest in this episode, Alex Pate, is a renowned author who recently published a book called The Innocent Classroom. The mission behind the book is to help break down the stereotypes that get in the way of minority students. Alex and his organization are clearly focused on this mission, so I was very excited to talk to him about it. Coming up is my interview with Alex Pate. It is my honor in episode 87 of the Leader of Learning podcast to bring on an exciting guest, Alex Pate, who is the president and CEO of Innocent Technologies and the creator of the Innocent Classroom. Alex has published five novels to date. His best known work is the New York Times bestseller Amistad, which was commissioned by Steven Spielberg's DreamWorks SKG based on the David Franzoni screenplay. And uh, latest book is called innocent classroom and i'm really excited to talk all about that book but before i do alex what did i miss can you please introduce yourself and fill in the gaps to the audience uh i'm very happy to be here with you um i don't know there are you know life is long so there are many gaps but i think you you got the overview very well i have the new book is called the innocent classroom uh i've been working in the school systems over the last 10 years training and working with educators to help them understand both the concept and the impact of the work that we've been doing. That's excellent. And, you know, full disclosure, I was excited to talk to you here as a guest because obviously, and actually, even before I explain that, I want to give the full title and the the full respect to the book. It's The Innocent Classroom, Dismantling Racial Bias to Support Students of Color. And and really, I'm, I'm excited to talk because you know, obviously this is a huge issue. It has been a huge issue, but it's become more, you know, it's come more to the forefront clearly in the past several months. And as a content creator, you know, regardless of what color I am or what color you are, I I do think that I have a responsibility to uh, make sure that this subject stays in the public eye and and in the eye and in the minds of educators, which I know is your is your niche. And so, uh, like I said, I'm just I'm really excited to talk to you. And um, one of the things that I did was I watched a recent webinar that you gave through ASCD, which is 
uh, of course, your your publishing company for that book. And and I'm a big ASCD fan. I, I was a, an ASCD emerging leader back in 2017. So props to ASCD. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I got a lot out of that webinar. And I, I want to talk about a couple of things that I heard you say. And then I'd love for you to kind of expand on those ideas a little bit here for, for my listeners as well. Right. One of the things you said, and, and this, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, came from actually the preface to the book. Um, you said, We've learned that using innocence as a goal for every child in a classroom can have a dramatic impact on both their behavior and their academic engagement, and that innocence can serve as a tool for liberation for our children and, believe it or not, for teachers as well. And you also went on to say that this has led you to see educators differently, Uh, now seeing educators as a liberating force, properly uh, trained and engaged with our children. Um, so I would love for you to expand on those thoughts a little bit and specifically, if you could explain the term innocence, because I find that rather intriguing uh, in terms of uh, the way that you use the term and, and of course, how it ended up in the title of the, the newest book. I'd be happy to. So, I mean, I think about, first of all, this whole thing started in a personal journey of my own um, in which I began to realize how much tension and stress was impaneled in my body as a black man in this country that I had lived with and managed throughout my entire life. Um, And I was writing an essay called Revolutionary Innocence because I had begun to think that those stereotypes and negative narratives and iconography that uh, describe and explain the the realities of African-American boys and men that latches onto my body had turned into a kind of guilt. I almost, ex- I, I expected negative things to happen to me. I, I expected people to treat me a certain way. And I expected that because I had actually started to internalize some of these negative stereotypes about me uh, as I presented myself to the world. So I was talking about that at a meeting. It was at the end of a meeting about teacher prep as related to uh, 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 cultural proficiency. And everybody stopped and turned and looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I feel like my job for my own personal existence is to discard as much of the guilt and the weight of negative stereotypes that society has put on me that doesn't apply to me, but that I act, but I've already internalized. And And I started to feel like, as I said, that that internalization process had created this thing in me, which caused me to always feel complicit. And somebody said, well, do you think young kids of color feel that way, have that developing feeling? And I said, well, actually, I think so. I did. And so there was a funder in the room and they said, well, over time, it came to they came to me and said, can you talk more about what you're doing to free yourself from this guilt? And can you think about developing a program that would respond to it that we could use in school systems? So I went to work at that. I spent a lot of time with educators uh, traveling back and forth, mostly to Omaha, Nebraska, which is where the funder was, and uh, piloting out this idea of innocence as a goal in a classroom. Um, And that that innocence, which is, so I will define innocence here as the reduction, minimization, neutralization, or elimination of negative, of the impact of the cumulative impact of negative stereotypes. Can educators help our children remove that so that they are free to learn? 
So actually, my company's uh, mantra is uh, free children to achieve. And so I began testing this out around 2012, and it just it caught on from there. Um, educators really appreciated that because they became fundamental in the evolution and the uh, and the development of 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 the academic spirit of kids of color. Um, and they help them for the time they're in the classroom. I mean, this is a very space specific program and effort uh, practice, I would call it, because it can only take place for that educator in that classroom. And so if that educator begins to practice some of the strategies and ideas that we have that relate to helping children let go of the negative stereotypes that inform their reality before they walked into the classroom, let go of that for those four hours or hour and a half or six hours, depending on what, you know, what level of school we're talking about, children would respond differently. And lo and behold, that's what started to happen. Relationships started to develop between educators and students that the educators didn't think that they could actually have established with those particular children. And so that change helped a lot of young people make that uh, behavior, for example, uh, social emotional learning issues, uh, referrals out of class, all of that stuff started to drop dramatically when educators took the time to know the children that they're teaching beyond the surface level and began to understand something deep about each of the children and began to develop strategies to support that as the classes went on. Yeah. So I love so much of what you just said, but I think you naturally transitioned into this broader idea of just building relationships and maintaining strong, healthy relationships with students. And uh, the reason I love that so much is because uh, that topic also has come to the forefront uh, recently because of the way schools look right now in the midst of the pandemic still. Um, but but to tie that in also with this idea of the, the innocent classroom, uh, another one of the things that you mentioned in your webinar that really stood out to me was you said, uh, speaking of the students, the more their innocence is engaged, the more likely they are to shed the weight of negative stereotypes that marginalize them and yep. minimize their edu educational attainment. They can be better students. And, and I guess what I'm wondering is, and, and obviously that's super powerful right there. I don't want you to give it all away for free, but I'm just wondering, <laughs> um, you know, are there explicit strategies and practices that you are helping teachers and, and, and edu all educators to do where they can kind of bring that out and, as you say, you know, liberate the students a little bit? Yes. I mean, and unfortunately or fortunately, I suppose, I wrote the book. So all of this is present in the book, the strategies, not specifically every strategy, because in many ways, each of our children is individual and consequently has their own uh, configuration of guilt and their own uh, deficits of innocence. And so developing a, a universal uh, strategic approach to that, I think is in, it, it doesn't work. What you have to do is to begin to really understand what drives the energy and, and, and ways of being of each child in your classroom, one after the other, and to develop a strategic response from that. But the, but the way to do that is contained in the book. And there are many uh, moments where teachers are talking about what they did to find that thing in that child that they needed to uh, strategize around. So all of that is present in the book. And 
part of that has to do with the fact that our work has been so successful. And I think, you know, trying to trying to rise up through the system so that educators everywhere can be a part of this conversation about innocence and guilt and good in the classroom. I needed to write the book and I needed to I needed to let go of holding on to these strategic and philosophical approaches so that educators everywhere could in, uh, could engage with this and let me know how it impacted their classrooms. Uh, so while we do this for groups of educators in general, my team, the book is for each individual educator to open the door up to this conversation about innocence. And I think, you know, from the, your first question, I want to go back to that for a second. The liberation part of this is critical because what educators do is they change the reality that children have that they uh, walk into in the classroom and the educator's role, at least pre-curricular, pre-pedagogical, has to do with convincing that child without trying to convince them, without doing it out loud, convince them that, hey, I see you, I'm with you, I'm your ally, I'm here for you. And if you would, if we can join hands and walk forward, we all, we both benefit from that. And I, I think the testimonials tell me that, and our evaluations tell us, the data that we've collected tells us it works. Hey, Leader of Learning, do you have a podcast too? Are you earning money from your podcast yet? Or have you been thinking of starting your own podcast as a side hustle to earn a secondary income? If so, Podcorn is your solution. Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasts with brands for native sponsorships. Podcorn takes the pain out of finding sponsors and empowers podcasters to monetize their voices and passions in a way that's engaging for listeners. With Podcorn, there's no middleman. That's because podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you every step of the way to ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. Sign up at podcorn.com or click the link in the show notes to start browsing sponsorship opportunities and start earning from that side hustle. You know, I'm glad that you touched on that one of those last pieces that you mentioned, which was that you, you're using explicit strategies, but not necessarily explicitly telling students or teaching students that what they're going through is that liberation process. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that also came up, I believe, from your webinar was something about how the subconscious mind where stereotypes are are taking root is more powerful than we are willing to admit, which obviously I took to mean that anyone can hold sort of these biases that you may not even quite realize. But I also think, correct me again, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it works the other way around too, where like you just said, uh, sort of subconsciously, the students themselves are maybe not even quite realizing what's happening to them. But over right. time, when these practices are, are done, you know, with fidelity and done the right way, uh, they are being free. They are being liberated from those feelings and those stereotypes that are really, you know, eating away at them. Right. I, 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 our students, they are conscious that they are weighed down. They're conscious that their lives are different in certain environments. Uh, black children, uh, children of color in general, are aware that their 
the quality of their life and the quality of the education they receive is maybe different from somebody, uh, from children who are in different places and in different economic realities or different racial realities. They're not, they're, they're not unaware of that. And, but they, and they do know that it has an impact on their lives. They're not specifically sure about how that manifests itself because they don't have that comparative reality. Um, I would say that uh, the challenge, so let me put it this way. Educators, I say in the book, edu uh, educators must believe three basic things in order for the innocent classroom to be effective for them. They have to accept that race is a social construct, that we created it ourselves, that it's real and yet not real, and that the subconscious, number two, that the subconscious mind where stereotypes take root, as you said, is more powerful than we're often willing to admit. And especially in a crisis moment when it's like move or not move, respond or not respond, or how you are going to respond, those same negative stereotypes that are operating in our children might come to play in an educator's actions. And that uh, the third is that a knowledge of innocence is really important for us to believe that our children are making decisions about what they're doing. I'm saying to you that many of our children are not making decisions. They are following a script that has been constructed by the negative stereotypes that have been promulgated about them. And so if you disconnect them from that list, the first thing we do is we ask educators in a room, tell us what America tells you about the children of color in your classroom. Not what you think, because I know you're passionate, compassionate, wonderful educators. But what does America tell you about those children? It's, it's at that point that the list starts to come. And that list of angry and uneducatable and violent and disruptive and disrespectful, you know, all of those negative words that, that exist in the popular culture about children of color, it's like, okay, let's, we talk about that list and then we throw that list away. Educators have to get beyond that in order to engage in this concept of liberating our children from the same list. And the point here is that if you know that's what America tells you about them, they already know that, that America is saying that about them. And unfortunately, many of them already believe that you believe the same thing. You know, I'm going to throw something out here and um, I I'm going to speak directly to the listeners, but I also want to get your, your take on it too. Um, John Hattie's research on visible learning, basically uh, in the top three or maybe five uh, effect sizes, you know, the, the, the strategies, the, the teaching strategies that have the biggest impact on students among the top three or five, I don't quite remember where it falls on the list, is a teacher's expectations of their students. Yep. Um, and and it's, it, sometimes it seems obvious and other times maybe not. But while you were just saying that, all I kept thinking was if America or if society feels or, or teachers or students think that society feels a certain way about them. But at least in the classroom, the teacher is pushing students and setting high expectations for them and and pushing them to reach their potential. Then then maybe, you know, those things at least get thrown out the window in the classroom. Exactly. I mean, that's that's exactly right. But you have to convince I think convince is not the appropriate word here, but I'm going to use it for now. You have to convince those children in the third grade and the fourth grade and the eighth grade and the 10th grade. You have to convince them that you know them well enough and care about them sufficiently enough that they can trust that you're doing that with them. 
because the world has already closed it. I mean, I, you know, in a lot of urban schools, our children unfortunately don't see our educators that much differently than they do authority figures out in the world. It's not that's that relationship. So when you said I'm moving into the conversation about relationships, that's the first thing we realize. We are in the innocent technologies approach, innocent classroom approach. People talk about relationships all the time. But not many people have a fundamental formulaic approach to developing relationships, which is what we've done. You know, we're going to start wrapping up a little bit here. But if you could see the notes I have in front of me based on kind of the homework that I took from your webinar and also checking out your website, I literally in capital letters with several exclamation points afterwards, I wrote the word trust. And and you just touched on that quite a bit. As a matter of fact, yeah. uh, what I heard was that trust being an issue societally, but being addressed in the classroom and and that perhaps depending on the age of students and the experiences and the backgrounds and and the history uh perhaps maybe the first times where that trusting relationship is really being built and again going back to that you know explicitly practiced where we're working on it in classrooms, in education. Um, and, and I guess I wanted to ask you sort of more on a macro level, uh, how that all ties in with what we're seeing happening in society when you talk about the stereotypes and you talk about the trust issues. Well, in society, we are a, a an inflection point, one of probably many more to come, uh, in which people of color are watching and paying attention to how the system responds to the world as it's evolving now. I mean, the social unrest and the civil disobedience, uh, uprising, whatever, however you want to characterize it, is critical. And our children are witnesses to this, as are educators. And so it's really vitally important, I think, that educators take on the task of seeing children of color as individuals with individual configurations of guilt and innocence and helping them free that free themselves from that. What we learned very quickly is that the Innocent Classroom was a relationship building organization, company, process, program, and that if educators really paid attention or followed the pathways that we set out, a lot of people talk about relationships, and I am repeating myself now, a lot of people talk about relationships, but they don't have a formula for establishing them. It's almost assumed that either you're good at it or you're not good at it. But what the Innocent Classroom does is it brings educators together and helps them develop a way of building relationships with whatever the mix of children are in the classroom. That's great. I love how you put that, where it's a formula and how teachers, educators feel like either they can do it or they can't, or they're good at it or they're not. Right. But the Innocent Classroom, the the book, the framework, the your, your organization really hones in on that relationship piece. So as we end, actually, uh, there's one thing that, that I kind of want to leave everyone with. And again, maybe you can just, uh, you know, expand upon this a little bit and plug the book one more time uh, on your website. And, and I'm going to assume this to be sort of the mission of the organization in general says 
In the Innocent Classroom, authentic relationships connect each child to their unlimited potential. The Innocent Classroom is a teacher-driven and child-specific response to diverse classrooms. When an educator approaches a child through the Innocent Classroom framework, they diminish the weight of society's negative narratives, freeing each child to respond to their education naturally. And I just think that that, that, that paragraph there uh, highlights a lot of things that we discussed in this uh, conversation, you know, and I focus on words like relationships, unlimited potential, teacher driven, child specific, yep. uh, diverse classrooms, you know, it's all in there. So uh, I, I, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. You know, I've been in uh, very diverse areas, starting my career in the Bronx, New York, and now working in two separate cities here in Connecticut. And um, diversity is, has always been a big part of what I do. And I've seen, man, all sides of, of some of these issues, even in schools and in classrooms. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And I, you know, what I, what I didn't want to do and what we don't do is sort of follow the path of a lot of the work that has been done. I think, you know, questions about cultural proficiency and diversity in the classroom and all of that stuff is really important. But what I wanted to go to the place where we were having a direct impact on academic performance. I mean, yes, we have to go across the bridge, over the over the creek, through the woods, and in through the tunnel to get to the place where we're actually impacting academic performance. But that's what was driving me, this whole idea of uh, this gap, this achievement gap. I don't believe it. Like, I don't believe children of color are any less uh, scholastically capable than their white counterparts. But I feel like our distance from the people who we should be trusting to lead us through that process is terribly flawed and problematic. And this, so my my idea here was to relieve that pressure um, from the children in a classroom and thereby relieving the teacher from the from the need to responding to the negative impact of that pressure and to change the environment completely. And I mean, all I can say is, you know, we have lots of data now. I haven't really talked about this. We started in 2012. I, I waited till now the right to write the book. Uh, I, I haven't been on the hustings trying to market and sell this. I am now because I feel confident that what we have is something really, really powerful. So I'm gonna say uh, to, your, to your audience, The Innocent Classroom, Dismantling Racial Bias to Support Students of Color, I think is a very important uh, uh, element in this conversation. I do too, and I wanna wish you luck and success with the book and everything that you're doing as an organization. Guys, you can find more information at innocentclassroom.com. Uh, one more time, the, the full title of the book is The Innocent Classroom, Dismantling Racial Bias to Support Students of Color. Alex himself can be found on social media at Alex Pate, that is A-L-E-X-S-P-A-T-E, and also at Innocent Class. Alex, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. I My really pleasure. appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks for your work as well. I think it's really important what you're doing. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. 
I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.